City Church in Over the Rhine is cultivating the kind of family Jesus introduced to the world in the city of Cincinnati. We're glad you're choosing to listen to a sermon from our weekly service. We would love to meet you. Visit us on Instagram or at citychurchotr.com. Enjoy. Guys, I read this and I just, I want to know. 
can that happen? I, if, if there's more of God, I, I want to have more of God. I don't know if this is real, or, but I'm, I, I'm fixated on at least finding out if that's happening. And as Chris was talking, I felt my 18-year-old spirit start to be stirred. Everything he said, I was like, I want to know too. I'm hungry too. I'd like to see God move too. And then he moved to um, my next friend, which is Zach. And um, he said, Zach, what do you think? And Zach said, um, in the most like nonchalant, calm manner, he said, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Everything Chris was saying, I was like, yes. It got to Zach, and I was like, that is not the response you have to this kind of a chapter. Now, Zach was one of my best friends. He has now become an elder at his church. He's walking faithfully with Jesus. And he, for his career, is an international tax consultant at one of the big four accounting firms. Literally, his title makes you fall asleep in the middle of it. <laughs> so what I now know about Zach is when he said, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's like a normal person standing on a table and, like, swinging a towel around. Like, <laughs> but in the moment, I was like, that's the wrong answer. And then it got to my friend Jonathan, and Jonathan said, you know what, I, this is not it. I don't think this is God. And again, Jonathan's a Jesus follower, enough that he wants to be discipled by the youth pastor. Jonathan just hit one question out of another. He said, this guy's probably trying to sell books, probably pastor exaggeration. I doubt that God actually moves that way. It was probably just something with the audio that it was a loud clap, and maybe the pulpit had already been split, or someone dropped it on the way up, and no one wanted to claim it. He had every excuse in the book. And as Jonathan spoke, with the craziest, critical, cynical spirit, I felt something in my spirit say, that makes more sense. It's probably true. Yeah, he could be. He's probably trying to sell the book. And then Chris got to me. And again, I didn't know this was a pivotal moment in my life. But when I look back, I'm like, I think that something happened here. Chris looked at me, and I felt in my spirit, everything Chris said was what I wanted. And I felt in my mind, the type A, eventual finance major, by the book mind, agreed with everything that Jonathan said. And I felt literally two voices at, at war inside of me. How was I going to respond in it? felt like I sat there for two hours trying to figure out what I even thought of the first chapter. It's probably 15 seconds. But after a while, I don't exactly remember what I said, but I remember what my spirit said. I just said, I must. I must. If there's more of God, if this is at all possible, I must have him. If it's even possible that God still does stuff like that, if God still shows up like he did in the Bible times, if it's possible, I must find out for myself. Because everything Jonathan says makes sense up here. But there was something in my spirit that I, began, that I believe set me on a trajectory to where I am right now, which is hungry for God. Two years later is when I share, when I normally share my testimony, I caught him, finally. And it changed my life. You've probably heard the story. I saw a girl that had uh, terminal leukemia instantly healed. Like, she went to the doctor and they said, we don't need to do chemo anymore. And the leukemia was gone. And I was on fire. And I believe it started with a fork in the road. Later on, two years later, that youth pastor would plant a church in a secular city in California. Zach, as I said, is faithfully walking with Jesus. Jonathan, two years later, was effectively 
not walking with Jesus at all. And currently today would describe himself as an atheist. There are two voices inside of all of us. I'm going to say the voices today are cynicism and hunger. And we can choose at these pivotal moments which voice we're going to listen to. Because cynicism must bow to hunger. Cynicism must bow to hunger. And there's a wave of deconstruction going on in the church, outside of the church, not because the critical spirit is bad. The critical spirit keeps you from stupid decisions at times. But the wave of deconstruction that's happening, maybe in your heart, maybe it's already happened, maybe you feel it coming on, is when we give the reins of our spiritual life to the spirit of criticism. We're allowed to be critical. Cynicism, a little bit of it, isn't going to destroy you. But when you give the reins of your spiritual life to cynicism and not hunger, you are headed for a path that winds up at best apathetic and at worst where Jonathan is today. We all have a fork in the road spiritually. We all have voices that are fighting over where we're going to go. And today we get to make a decision. Maybe today's not your big fork in the moment, pulpit splitting moment, but you will have one and you will have to choose which voice do I listen to. When cynicism walks into the room, walks into the room of your heart, I just want you to know it never introduces itself as that. It's going to introduce itself as um, uh, wisdom. It's going to say, well, that's, no, you're not being, you're not lacking faith, you're just being wise. When cynicism walks into your heart, it's going to introduce itself as sustainability. Sustainability. Hey, you don't want to burn too hot, too early for Jesus. Just a slow kind of warmth is what we're looking for. Don't, don't get too hot too early. That's going to, that's, it's not going to lead you to, you want to be sustainable. It's also going to introduce itself as realistic. You're not pessimistic. You don't lack faith. You're just realistic. Those things aren't bad. But when cynicism masquerades as it, they are. And then cynicism is going to point to the hunger, the voice of hunger inside of you that says, man, I wonder if possibly maybe God has more for me. And it's going to say, you don't want that. That's youthful zeal. That's, that's inexperience. That's just hype. Now, I am allergic to church hype. 100%. Hate it. And as long as I have any influence over this church, we will not be hype. But we will be hungry. And we will learn to know the difference. We will not be hype. We're not going to drum up excitement just for excitement's sake. But when God's in the room, we will take hold of him. We will say we want more of him. And we will tell the spirit of cynicism, you don't have a voice here anymore. We all have. You want more of the presence? You want more of the presence? Hunger's the key. Rob mentioned this last week. We had a staff off-site where we just got laid out on the floor. This is kind of where this series came from. And as we were laid on the floor, I remember I had the meeting agenda set up and how I was going to lead it. And at the last moment, Evu walked by me as I was eating breakfast. And I was like, hey, can you lead us in a song? It was just a simple, not spiritual moment. I was like, but we should start with that. And we never made it to my part. And I was reflect. I was laying on the floor. The presence of God was on all of us. And I was like, God, what would have happened if I didn't invite him to just lead a song? What if I hadn't read Psalm 16 or whatever? What if that didn't happen? And I felt like the Lord said as, can, or as clearly as I've heard him, if you give me an inch, I'll, I'll take a mile. If you give me an inch, I'll take a mile. So today's all about how do we give him an inch? So you have a voice inside of you, two voices. 
I love, there's a Native American legend that um, describes it as two wolves. Maybe you've heard the story. A grandfather sitting with his grandson, and he says, there are two wolves inside of you, the, good, the wolf of good, wolf of good, and evil. Today, I'm going to call one of those wolves hunger and the other wolf cynicism. And he says, you want to make sure that they're going to fight over all of your attention. And the grandson, after a while, sits there and he says, well, how do I know which one is going to win? Maybe you've heard this line. The grandfather said, whichever one you feed, how will we feed the spirit of hunger inside of us? You might think you don't have it, but it's there. It's a flicker of a flame. How do we feed the spirit of hunger inside of us? This morning, we're going to um, walk through Peter's life. Because Peter got with Jesus. Peter understood the presence. He, over time, experienced more and more of God's presence throughout his life. And I want you to look at where he started when the presence of God made manifest the first time. I want you to look at what he did. And then I want you to look at what he did towards the end of his ministry. So, this is going to be a four-year journey. Um, like, it's going to be a 15-minute journey for you. But it's a four-year journey with Peter. Start in Luke 5, we're going to end in Acts 2. Luke 5 says this, this is kind of the first interaction, significant interaction Peter's had with Jesus. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now Jesus is fully God here. He's not getting warmed up. It's the beginning of his ministry, but there's already the fullness of God there. So Peter's encountering the presence of God. And I want you to look at how he responds when God walks into the room. This is the first time. This is how Peter starts out. So if you're ashamed of not being comfortable in God's presence or not even understanding how to invite it, you're in good company. This is how Peter starts too. He questions it. He questions the manifest reality of God and says, look, I don't think that's going to work. But whatever, you're a rabbi, maybe you know something about this. And then it gets worse. They catch a bunch of fish, and Peter realizes, oh, this is not just a good fisherman. There's someone else here. And it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. So the presence manifests in a powerful way. And Peter is so unfamiliar with the presence of God that he gets uncomfortable. He says, I'm, I'm too sinful. You need to leave. He actually tells Jesus, you need to go. Because he's so unfamiliar with what the presence of God would be like. The thing is, Jesus doesn't leave. Jesus says, actually, no, I'm going to stay around, and actually, I'd like for you to come with me. You're welcome to join me if you want. And I believe, now, we don't have the biography, autobiography of Peter in this moment, but I believe if we got coffee with Peter and said, hey, what was one of those pivotal moments? This would be it. This is his McAllister's Deli pulpit-splitting moment. Because he says, Jesus, you need to leave. And Jesus says, actually, I'd like to stay. And now Peter has a decision. Is he going to lean in to what's uncomfortable? Or is he going to go a different direction? It says, so they pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Peter leaned in. Peter said, I'm not comfortable with this. I've never been around this. I'm not quite understanding what's going on. But I'm going to feed the wolf of hunger inside. I'm going to at least give wonder 
a chance. If there's more of this guy, if there's more of God's presence that doesn't make me feel good, it makes me feel a little convicted, then I'm going to lean in. And so Peter stays around. Two years later, two years of walking with Jesus, he gets another crazy encounter with God's presence. This is Luke 9, so five chapters later, Peter takes, um, or I'm sorry, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John onto, the, onto a mountain to pray. And it says, as he was praying, the appearance of his, Jesus' face changed, and his clothes became as bright as, fl- as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in the glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, he saw, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Round two, what's Peter going to do? The first miracle, that was just child's play compared to this. Things are getting way more intense when the presence comes this time. But Peter's had two years of getting comfortable with the presence of God. So he responds a little differently this time. It says, as the men were leaving, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. That's what he said. So let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then Luke records this in parentheses. He did not know what he was saying. Nice try. He tried. What I love about Peter is Peter takes charge. He's consistent in every single situation. There is no leadership vacuum around Peter. The first time, Peter says, Jesus, you go. Second time, Peter says, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, you stay. He's taking charge. He's a leader. Just not quite worth following yet. About two more years later, and this is the craziest one because Jesus isn't even there. Two years later, four years after the beginning, Four years of regularly inviting in the presence of God into his life. Four years of encountering the presence of God. And Peter, despite it being, I think, the most supernatural occurrence yet, Peter somehow responds the most naturally. And I think it's because he had started to get used to the presence. Acts 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is a charismatic dream. Tongues, glory, fire, wind, earth, water. Thank you. Thank you, millennials. With our powers combined. If you don't get it, just trust that was really funny. Great callback to childhood. So there's all this chaos going around. This is potentially the most supernatural thing yet, but Peter's seen some stuff by this point. He's gotten in the presence. Now, Peter's never, I I imagine if we asked him, Peter would be like, I've never seen this before. But I've seen this before. It's been four years. I know what the presence feels like. I know what it's like when God shows up into a room. And it's why I think in the most supernatural occurrence yet, One that can't even be explained by Jesus being there. Peter responds the most naturally. He says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you what's happening. Listen carefully to what I said. And then he goes on to give the most epic sermon of all time, at least by anyone other than Jesus. And he starts a sermon, which I love this intro. He says, hey, just for the record, we're not drunk. Great sermon intro. He says, look, we're not drunk. Actually, Joel talked about this. Remember Joel, he said that. And then David even said, you know, at some point the Messiah was going to come. He's going to say, this is my Lord. 
And actually, the Messiah did come. That's what's crazy. Um, he was just here. You, you might have missed it. Actually, no, you didn't miss him. You killed him. That's what happened. And at the end of this epic sermon, it says that they were cut to the heart. And 3,000 got saved. The first revival starts to take place in the church because of this sermon. But I don't think it's because of the sermon. The sermon was not a response because Peter had a lot of preparation. This sermon, this moment came, at, came out of the fact that Peter had had proximity. It wasn't his preparation for the moment. It was his proximity to the presence over the last four years where Peter said, I think I know what to do here. I think I know how to explain this. And Peter responds perfectly to a moment that we would say is unexplainable. Why? Because for four years, Peter's been around the presence. Peter's been hungry for the presence. Peter's encountered the presence. And it took four years for him to get there. So there's grace for you. But after four years of getting around God, he said, look, I think I know what's happening here, and I'd like to explain it. And I'd like to demystify what God's obviously doing in the room. Which brings us to you. This was all intro. Brings us to you. How are you going to get around the presence of God? How are you going to, in his words, give him an inch? How are you going to leave the door cracked? What are the regular practices that you're going to encounter or start, start to put in so that you get more of God? Because here's what I know. He wants to. He's asking. He wants to be in this room and in your room more and more and more. So we're going to get really practical. How do we give him an inch? Uh, this is going to be the next few minutes. This is um, some of the things that I've done that I found are good, but it's not just me. Um, we had a staff meeting conversation that I was secretly taking notes of what other people do, and so that's going to come out right now. Uh, and then I also emailed my friends Jason and Kristen Scott, who lead a ministry basically on how to naturally super encounter the supernatural. And so this is a conglomerate of all of our ideas. Number one. How do you get in the presence? How do we build in little rhythms? How do we create thin spaces between where we are and where heaven is? Number one, the secret place. Jesus had a secret to his life, and it was the secret place. We live for the public place. Jesus lived for the secret place. Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Now, you've heard this described in different ways. Evangelicals call it a quiet time. Charismatics call it the prayer closet. Calvinists call it predetermined. Thank you. No matter what stream you come from, there's this new move that I've noticed where we've kind of called whatever this is, the secret, we've called it like religion. We're like, well, you don't have to do that anymore. And it's true, you don't have to. Why would you not want to? That's crazy. You're telling me that in the comfort of my own home, I can meet with the God of the universe? You better find your secret place. You better find the time. You better find the place. God wants to encounter you. The best thing you can do is set up a rhythm of a secret place with God. Number two, your friends. This is just right below there. There are, there's something in science that is above my pay grade called mirror neurons. Basically what it says is you kick up stuff everywhere you go, and you receive stuff from the, uh, the things other people are kicking up. Look it up. It's real. And that's all the science I got for you. Essentially what it says is you become like those that are around you. You want to get fit? Get around fit people. You want to get hungry? Get around hungry people. You become like those that you 
are around. You become like those that you're around. See, that's why we do Sunday mornings. There's a reason we haven't just kicked out this front door and said we're all house group. is because there is something that happens in this room. I come in, I'm not feeling it, I'm tired. I borrow from your hunger. And next week, guess what happens? You come in, you're not feeling it. You're a little depressed, but I'm fired up. You can borrow from my hunger. We get in the room to encounter him, but we get in this room to do it together. There is a borrowing and a lending of hunger in this room. That's why this front door will still be open, because there is something that can only happen here when we get in the presence. I've decided um, that there's probably people in this church that maybe that um, could teach better than me or that are more well-read than me. Maybe they could pastor or shepherd better than me. I mean, honestly, I, I believe that. I've decided no one will be more hungry than me. It is the greatest thing that I have to bring to this church. I naturally carry passion. I get Peter. He wins big and he loses big. That's my life. I carry a hunger that I am just going to pour gasoline on. And if you want to get more hungry, if you want to be the most hungry person in this church, you've got to come through me. No one's going to be more hungry than me. And we start getting together, we're going to even build into more hunger. It is the greatest thing that I have to offer this church. It's not the theology. It's not leading us in leadership or anything. No one's going to get more hungry than me. But you can try. And I invite you to try. Because what would it look like if a room of people that just wanted to get more hungry started to come here on Sunday mornings? I don't know. We'll find out next week. Number three, we're going to move a little quicker. Get rid of idols. Money, relationships, sex, comfort, family. Family is a big one in uh, the American church. Kids, dating, spouse, whatever holds number one place in your heart or your thought life, get rid of it. Align your heart with heaven because heaven is the fullness of God's presence. Once your heart to encounter God's presence, make it look more like heaven. Number four, I love this. This is from the Scots. They do a family worship night. Um, you can define family however you want. This is your friends, your neighbors, your biological family. But they said they'll often tell their kids, hey, we're going to do 30 minutes. I think their kids are here, so I'm going to let their little secret out of the bag. They said, we're going to do 30 minutes of worship before we watch a movie. And uh, they invite the Holy Spirit. They said it's really important for someone to set the tone. But then they said it usually starts with complaints over a 30-minute moment together. And it ends, with one or, it ends one or two hours later with praise and worship. I love that. I actually was, I was reading that and I was like, I want my friends to do this more. I want my family to do this more. Number five, invite God into the ordinary. Chores, do dishes with Jesus. And I think this is a great opportunity. We often are telling God what, what's on our mind. This is a good opportunity to say, hey, God, what's on your mind? I'm going to do these dishes. Speak whatever you want. You've got the floor. Number six, breath prayer. We've gone through this a few times. Mandy's led us through this. You breathe in. You invite God into your very breath. You breathe in. You breathe out. I am his. He is mine. Number seven, uh, healing prayer. Invite God, before you take uh, medicine, and we're not anti-medicine, but before you do it, just say, God, would you take away my headaches? Give God an opportunity to move. God, would you heal their back? Number eight, text others, just random words of encouragement. You never know how prophetic it might be for them. Number nine, I actually got this from Chris, the youth pastor. St. Ignatius used to do something called examine. So every night he would lay down and he would say, how was I like Christ today? I mean, how was I not like Christ today? 
basically what we're looking for is how can I create a thin space between myself and others? How can I create a thin space? Last weekend, um, some of us went camping, went camping, and um, by camping, I mean sitting in a cabin with plumbing and air conditioning. <laughs> and uh, we decided one night that we wanted a fire. We wanted to go sit around the fire. So 30 minutes before we went out there, um, our friend Matt, who's here, went out and got the fire ready. For 30 minutes, he's out there. Why? Anybody can wad up a newspaper and light it on fire, right? Why would he have to be out there for 30 minutes? Because you know, you might not know how to do this, and I know that if you want a fire to burn hot and long, it's going to take some preparation. Took Peter four years. We're going to give ourselves the same grace. The band can come up. We're going to go into worship. And I want you to just be honest with yourself. Acknowledge where you're at. Peter's life, where are you at? Get away from me, Jesus. Are you awkwardly fumbling through your words? doesn't matter where in the scale you are. Right now, we just want to acknowledge where we're at because hunger is the great equalizer. doesn't matter if you're a skeptic of Jesus or you've been walking faithfully with him for 40 years. There's more of God for you. And there's more hunger available to you. And so we're going to go after him. Next week, it's actually going to be extended worship. We're going to talk more about the veil. It's going to be heavy OT. But we're mostly just going to worship. And we're going to go after him. So this is um, what I want to end with. And then the prayer team can go ahead and get in place. Um, I'd love to see people get prayer specifically. If you want more of God, if you want more hunger in your life, I'd love to see you get prayer. Um, a few weeks ago, there's something in the New Testament primarily called a bridal cry. And uh, what it is, it's basically, come Lord Jesus. It's the bride crying out for the groom. And um, just think about like a bride waiting for her groom. And a few weeks ago, I was doing a wedding here, and um, it was just right before the wedding, and I went into, like, the bridal preparation chamber, which is Kid City, and uh, I was there with the maid of honor, and I was like, how you doing? And at that point, the bride was just, like, I'm over with it, and with the flowers, and the people, and their this, and their decisions. But then she said something. She said, but I'm fine. I'm, I'm just here for him. just here for him. So this morning, we're going to bridal cry together. Come, Lord Jesus, because the groom comes where he's wanted, and we want him in this room. We want him in our hearts. And so right now, um, I'd love to have you guys respond in whatever way looks right. Specifically, if you've been in a spiritual drought, get prayer. Do not leave with that same drought. Borrow on one of these people's faith. Say, would you light the little flicker of an ember that I have in my heart? And of course, the altar is going to be open if you just need to change your posture. But we're today going to lean into hunger and we're going to say, come Lord Jesus. It's the cry of our heart for the groom to come. Awaken hunger in each one of us. Respond as you see fit. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Sunday service. If we can serve you in any way, please visit our website at citychurchotr.com. If you want to be a part of what God is doing in Cincinnati, you can support us financially. Giving can also be done on our website at citychurchotr.com give.